Welcome to EduBlether. This episode is all about professional learning. So Jude and I are going to just have a chat about what we've been up to recently, um, what the key uh, learning experiences we've been engaged in over the last year. Um, and it's been quite a year, hasn't it? It's been a year, yeah, a year and a bit. And I think professional learning is quite a, an interesting topic because I would say that that has been the area me that I've focused most heavily over the last over the last year and I suppose I've probably grown quite a bit professionally learned an awful lot gone through a lot of experiences that I'll hopefully never ever go through ever again but yeah it's been a it's been a year for professional learning I would say it's also the excuse I feel like we start every episode with an excuse about oh we're so busy we're we're the busiest people in education but that is the reason that we're so kind of infrequent with our episodes because yeah i know we keep apologizing don't we sorry everyone sorry again but hopefully you enjoy this <laughs> hopefully you enjoy this yeah yeah this one-off yearly <laughs> no but it's a serious point it's been a it's been a tricky year for everyone but i think some of the the really positives about professional learning has been it's much easier to to access professional learning you know gone are the days where you have to find time to get out of school most things are online now um kind of reduce travel time or, or got rid of them all together so i think that's a huge benefit i really like that that i'm able to access a lot more things do you agree yeah, yeah i was just going to ask do you think would you would you like to see that continue? Do you think that kind of proliferation of online CPD, do you think you will do that? Or do you think there will be a massive surge of you just attending everything in person just so you get a biscuit and a chat? No, no. <laughs> I don't think the biscuits have ever been that good They've never or been that plentiful, to be honest. <laughs> I don't remember a biscuit. But anyway, um, I think the key thing for me is there has to be a blended approach because I think what's been really key is, yeah, online has has its advantages but it also means you're not able to connect with people as much you know and we were talking just before we started recording about into headship and and you're doing that just now Jude and I um, completed that a year or two ago and the difference you know mine's was fully in person yours has been part in person part online not in person at all 100% online oh really even at in term one and two I suppose we've been in a really uh, tricky place I suppose um, and I guess the things that were really really good for me was those connections with people and getting to know people having those conversations that you know you might have over lunch um, or on the way or after the session all of those things you don't plan for when you when you plan a professional learning session they just they're byproducts of it aren't they yeah and I think for me I miss that part of it, you know, because I've engaged in an online only professional learning around the, the national coaching for success with Education Scotland. And it's been really good so far, um, but it's all online. So when you have a break, you're just stepping away from your computer. You're not actually able to converse with people or, you know, have those informal chats. And I think that's the miss, isn't it? Yeah, I I agree because I think the 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 nature of um, being able to access things and access has clearly gone up. Do you know we're all yes, yeah, of course, be cutting out that sort of travel time, cutting out the just the sort of you're jaded at the end of a school day and actually just being able to mm-hmm. click on to something and go to it is is amazing. Um, I think there's been things that I have attended and taken part in this year that I definitely wouldn't have done just because I wouldn't have had the time to be able to go to it so access is a key part of it but it's I suppose it comes down to the purpose behind the professional learning and it's really made me question and I don't know what you think about this but it's it's made me question just the 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 whole purpose of it the whole nature of it so is it purely a, a a knowledge transfer which actually Mm -hmm. really when when you're talking online learning that sort of um exchange of information that dialogue that rich sort of nuanced experience where you build on each other's tacit knowledge of what's going on and shared experience that can't really exist online we're Mm -hmm. not we're still not at a point with that and i think our kind of online pedagogies have come a huge 
a, a really long way, but we're still not yeah. at the point to recreate that really natural, organic experience that takes place when you're just there with somebody or listening to a presenter mm-hmm. in the room and then approaching them after and having an informal conversation with them. All those small bits really actually add up to something bigger, they're kind of greater than the sum of its parts, aren't they? Because actually it's not just about here is the bit of information that I have for you and I want to give you it and I'm going to just give you that piece of information. It's much mm-hmm. more, I, I look, I, I'm looking for more of that exchange of ideas. That How do you feel about that? What's your thoughts and opinions and how can I take that away and, and take that into my own experience? And you can't get yeah. it away. And I think that's hard. And and I know that people try to recreate these sessions with like breakout rooms and teams and, you know, chat facilities and all that kind of stuff. You're trying to get that feedback because it can be quite lonely. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting here, even just in an online world, we're delivering assemblies electronically and, and virtually at the moment. And sometimes you're just talking to yourself. Well, you are just talking to yourself because you're getting no feedback. You're not yeah. seeing anyone. You're not seeing young people nodding or you know, whether they're they're getting the message or not, you're not getting any questions or interaction. It's all for me. It's me just delivering information. And I guess there's a real danger that if that is what our professional learning becomes, then actually we've moved quite, we've actually gone backwards because I think we were in a place where we moved away from that knowledge transfer because I think we were there maybe 10, 15 years ago where you attended a course and you were delivered to, and you came away with a certificate, and you've, you know, you've got this knowledge, in inverted commas, to much more about reflection, and self-evaluation, and, you know, you've engaged in shared practice, and I think we were in a better place, but I think you're right, I think it's really tricky to try and deliver that in an online setting. My other thought is, although access has improved, I wonder if engagement, and I don't mean engagement in terms of in an online world, I mean in terms of if you get time out of school or if you are, I don't know, you have to pay for a course yourself, whether it's master's level learning or not, you're buying into it a lot more, I think. And I wonder if it's so easy just to sit at your desk and click into a course, are you going to in the background just sit and do other stuff? And listen in, whereas actually if you're, you know, in the past we've had a day out of school or a twilight session where they're in person, you have to be present. Yeah. You can't sit on your emails and you can't sit and do other stuff. Whereas in an online world, you know, people can switch off their cameras. You're told to keep your microphone off unless you're contributing. So is there a lot more kind of, I don't know, passive? Yeah. Yeah, contribution. Doing, doing the Do you iron, know what I mean? Ironing while you're while you're doing your CPD. Yeah, and there is absolutely. A... And I wonder what is what is the impact of that that we're saying we're able to access all of this professional learning, and undoubtedly we are, but are we actually getting that deep understanding, and are we really engaging to that level, or yeah. is it just we're able to now attend X number of professional learning events now, but actually our engagement at them is much lower. Not yeah. only because of the online, but also we can switch our cameras off, listen in the background, and engage when we want to. Yeah, I I think that's a really interesting point because yes, access has increased all of our ability to be able to kind of attend a wider range or being able to hear from a wider range of speakers and get a wider range of content. But the the kind of ubiquity that comes with that makes it less special. I think yeah, you're right. It's, definitely. It's very much a case of, well, yeah, they're, they're sort of, and everybody's sort of found their groove with it as well. And it's wonderful. The, the, the range of voices that are on, on display now and on offer, fantastic. Like you can't go a week without there being a really interesting mm-hmm. speaker that's, that's, that's able to come along. Do you know, I think, I think within the next two weeks, I'm hearing from Paul Dix at a conference and then graham logan from education scotland like two days later and you just think i'm going to that as well the graham logan one actually that looked really interesting so i think that moment that moment that we've just had there in terms of Mm -hmm. yeah that's great and we wouldn't ever have really accessed a huge range of um same uh, clpl experiences because we're in different authorities and we're both able to have 
that shared experience and then that makes that sort of collegiate working across the country a bit better but that mm -hmm. that exactly that point the kind of disengagement that comes with it because you're you're accessing it through a device that's designed to distract you and you're mm -hmm. like i'm sat there yeah on master's level study buying a tent on amazon because i can because something's come <laughs> up and i'm like oh, i shouldn't be doing this but i know i'm just duped by the algorithm yeah. by by and i'm and then i catch myself and i'm aware and i'm conscious and I'm like, i shouldn't i just but it's it's really hard because we're not really built to do that and it's the the collegiate working that we're missing out on and i, I do think there are there are a great number of really exciting opportunities that come for for professional learning with even mm -hmm. using technology and actually I think we're we're just by default the way we're at with it it's in its infancy because we've never mm -hmm. before had so many people that are have the technological know-how and the desire and the hunger but we're only really a year into that and yeah. i think actually to see that evolve into something more i'm excited to see what will happen mm -hmm. but i just I, I don't know where it's going to go and i think the other thing that for me i mentioned the the national coaching for success program that is being delivered by um, colleagues in Fife Council but it's being delivered to you know a cohort from across Scotland like yeah. that would be really difficult to do because you would have the whole travel time and all that whereas actually that's amazing you know people can work across Scotland there's one national course um, that is able to be delivered online and people can access it and also people from rural places of Scotland, you know, where they don't have the same level of access to courses that we do in the central belt. So I think there are huge advantages, I guess, going back to that point, I wonder, are we not as picky with our professional learning as well? Yeah. You know, the fact that we're both going to, to hear Graham Logan, um, if that was in person, would we both be going to that? Or is that just because it's easy? Maybe yeah. that's a really good thing. Maybe that encourages people to access professional learning. I don't know. Or are we just a bit frivolous in terms of, oh, I'll give that a go. I've got time. I've there got is, space in my diary. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There is also that a question that comes from it. And it just occurred to me as you were chatting there about the course that you're doing that's accessible to a lot of people from a lot of different authorities and that sort of shared experience nationally. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the question I have around that is, is is that really what we aspire to? Is, is Do we want a sort of universal, consistent experience across the board that everybody from the top of the country to the bottom is, is going to be able to access and have the same messages? Or is there was there something in that sort of professional learning that was really geared towards the learners in your community and, and their needs and their specific needs and knowing those learners better. Is there is there a positive? Probably, yes. But what's the downside to having that consistent message so readily available mm -hmm. across the country as well? Because I, I can't help but think that there's, there is a variation in there that means that it's kind of removing critical thought and just being able to just listen to messages that are coming and trying to because mm, I'm not sure it's about that because I mean this is about coaching so coaching is very much a skill that obviously we're developing on the course and I, I think you know coaching in Fife should be the same as coaching in Perth yeah. and Ross or, or Aberdeenshire so I'm not sure it's it's not about delivering a one-size-fits-all message. I think it is mainly about the opportunity for people to participate, Yeah, I think, is the main thing. So I'm not quite as concerned about that. I think it's great that, you know, where normally I would only be able to engage with colleagues in my local authority, if I went to a local authority event, yeah. or people within my regional improvement collaborative, whereas I'm able to, in breakout rooms, speak to people from Aberdeenshire, but also from East Renfrewshire. So there's a, a real mix there for me that probably would never exist. Um, I think, you know, so I've, I've, my reflections on being part of a group that is delivered completely online, obviously I've shared that with you. But then the other thing is in my school and um, where I think it works really well, um, I'm delivering an aspiring leaders course using some of the materials from from Education Scotland's professional learning and leadership team. Mm. And the Aspiring Leaders course is obviously, as it says on the tin, it's for 
um, teachers who are looking to develop their professional learning network through working together, looking at you know exploring some aspects of leadership and management, um, coaching we've got in there, we've got other kind of types of topics too. And where I find it works really well, because obviously that's all online, because um, yeah. our COVID risk assessment means that we can't have groups of staff together. So it's all online. But I think it works well because there's only eight people and those eight people are able to get to know each other really, really well. And therefore they've created that safe space yeah. that they can talk and they're in breakout rooms, but they still know each other because they're able to, you know, they know that actually that's the art teacher or that's the, the um, science teacher and it's part of the same school community. So it feels a bit safer. So whereas I think probably if I look at the coaching model, I know people a little bit and probably I'm feeling less comfortable contributing. And yeah. probably it's the same for you and your interheadship. I don't know what you think about that. No, I think that's that's a really interesting point, isn't it? That because it was as you were discussing that aspiring leaders course that, that you're running at school, which sounds amazing. That sounds really interesting. I'd like to find out a bit more about that. But that isn't the way that you've um described that. That's something very much that would be better in real life in person. But you've been Absolutely. able to overcome the barriers. So I suppose and we don't want to get hung up in this episode of just talking about this last year and I want to chat about professional learning on a sort of wider level. Mm-hmm. But I think there, in that situation, that definitely would be better, but you've been able to overcome it and still achieve something really good online because the people can get to know each other really well and it's limited to the people that that they know so they can build up a safe space and then that's just a recreation of that space online. And the difference is when it comes to my into headship course or if you're working with the coaching thing or if you're attending a, a, a session that's a kind of widespread across across the country that sort of critical engagement in terms of people disagreeing with each other and and creating a bit of discomfort mm-hmm. and, and actually saying well this is my experience of that and that's different to your experience and that's okay that that level of dialogue doesn't isn't happening that's how, what i found in, in, in my course anyway and now this is not me bashing the course in any shape or form no no not at all but the, i think it's the nature of working online is really yeah difficult. and i think it the only way in which you can feel comfortable having those challenging conversations is if you know people and you build up good relationships and that's really hard to do online really really hard it's probably a lot easier had you had the opportunity to meet in person and develop those relationships and then, you know, two, three months later, you had to move online. Yeah. And that's probably where we've benefited from the Aspiring Leaders course. And it's a really good programme, actually. We really had a lot of buy-in from the teachers in the school. So, yeah, we had eight people sign up. Um, we've had three sessions so far. It's really just kind of twilight session after school. Yeah. Um, so about an hour and 20 minutes each time, although we always run over because <laughs> yeah. you can always have more time. Um, and I'm always quite ambitious with what we can do with that time. And uh, I always feel like I'm cutting the, the discussion short as well, you know, when they go into their breakout rooms. Um, so it is really good. And I'm trying to tailor it to, to what their needs are. Um, the next session, I've got two principal teachers coming along talking about their experience of uh, leadership and they're also the journey they've they've kind of been on around Amazing. that um so yeah it's really i think it's just quite good because what i wanted to do was pull together a group of like-minded people who were looking for that challenge and looking for that next step because this year has been difficult and it's not necessarily meant we've had that natural opportunity to do something like this so i just thought that would be a really good thing to fill the gap for those people and and feedback has been positive so far that sounds amazing yeah and something that i've heard happen at sort of local authority level but i suppose if you're in a big school and there's this really rich um pool of people with experience then that seems like a great thing to do and then you've got that immediate sort of built-in relationship and contextual awareness that comes with that as well do you know you can immediately sort of contextualize that within your setting that sounds that sounds amazing i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you a different question now go on i feel that um 
the 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 discussion around online professional learning versus in person is a really important one and it's one that needs to continue but i i, I want to ask then what it, what has been your most sort of poignant most significant most impactful piece of professional learning not not of all time ever but just something that really resonates or sticks out with you for you personally so there's quite a lot to think of but i think for me the it's actually a recent thing and it's it's i don't know if you've read the book now i'm not going to remember the author here simon sinak i think start with why yes Yes. Have you read that or have, have you heard that. of it? Did I listen and to the I just think of that? Possibly, yeah. Um, and it was recommended to me by um, a colleague and I read it and it really... I mean, there's a lot of business references in it, so it's not necessarily for education, but really it, it focuses in on aspects of education and that we always start with the what and the how we're going to do stuff. And so we're guilty of doing that. So we decide to improve literacy. So we decide, right, what are we going to do? We're going to employ a member of staff or we're going to create an extraction group or, you know, whatever it is. And then how are we going to do that? We look at the finer detail of how that would work. We'll timetable it or we'll give a space. We'll put it on the improvement plan, whatever. But actually, the one thing that I, and I have my own reflection on this, is that we all we don't always start with the why. You know, why is that important? Why do we want to improve literacy? Because actually, if you have a really clear sense of purpose, and you touched upon this earlier when you talked about the purpose of professional learning, that is the why, isn't it? So if we start with the why of why do we do professional learning rather than what are we going to do or how are we going to do it, which is all we've talked about so far in this podcast, yeah. we've not actually talked about why it's important. No. And I think, you know, I'm guilty of, it's easy to focus on the what and the how, but the why is really about your values and really about what, what drives you and, and really about what is, what's important about it. And I think that really was a light bulb moment for me was the why. And I need to keep reminding myself, what is the why here? So, you know, we're, we're trying to solve a problem at school at the moment. And we're all coming up with all these solutions, but actually we're not we're not having thinking deeper about right, why do we have this on our timetable in the first place? You know, what's the purpose of this session? Well, what we're trying to do is we're just solving a problem that actually we're not we need to ask those deeper, those bigger questions. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I think that yeah, that's a really um good important question that we definitely don't ask enough of and the the sort of operational managerial focus that certainly in my kind of lived experience over the last year or so has been so prevalent Mm -hmm. it's just taken over all of the why thing but actually i think it's something that we don't struggle with or have enough agreement over i think actually the why in education is a really big question that you could be could be Mm -hmm. viewed through so many different lenses and I think when you start questioning why and using the big why question, it's okay to understand that actually your why might be totally different from mine and we might have a completely different ideal. But then that's great because then that from that comes change, comes disagreement, comes messiness. And I think we need more of that. I think the, the, the what and how is quite a, well, we've always done this and or this works or this doesn't work, so let's yeah. do that. But actually the, the why of it, yeah, I think that's, I mean, to ask that question of everything we do is a really important and insightful question, I think, to be asking. And the really good example, and you'll love this because you're a fellow Apple lover like myself, Apple were used as a lot in terms of having a really clear sense of why. Yeah. In that whatever industry or area they, they put their efforts into, they don't just recreate what is already there. They actually ask why it's important and they think about the purpose but they have a really clear sense of why, and that is to think differently. And they, everything they do is about thinking differently. So they look at the music market, and they've totally transformed Apple Music and, and how that works and yeah. you know the, the whole scene there. And the example was given that, that I think it was Microsoft that were trying to go into 
um, mini disc players back in the day when mini disc players were around. Oh yeah, for that fortnight and, when mini discs were a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you can remember yeah. that, yeah. And obviously, Microsoft's a big brand. They've gone into this, but they've just made it a mini disc player. Yeah. Whereas they didn't actually do anything different about it. They've just they've just thought of right. Oh, we want to make a product for that. Yeah. Whereas had they reimagined it and thought, right, what's the purpose of this? What's the why around creating a mini disc player? It would have been a more successful thing. Mm. Whereas when Apple look at things, they actually reimagine them and, and, and really think about what the purpose is for. And therefore it means things are much more successful. Yeah. And I think there's there's lessons there around um around an education. You know, if we think carefully about why we do something then it's more likely to be sustainable and much more likely to be a success in the longer term than if we just do short term, oh, we've got a problem here, let's fix it, here's how we can do it. Yeah. Whereas actually we've not thought, is it still important? Is it- and I think one of the things that COVID has given us the opportunity to do is really question why we still do things the way we do them. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity that we can really take that, this time um to think about what we've done some of the changes we've made and think right what is actually important Mm. and i think i think schools are doing that certainly that's something we're doing as a school is we're taking this opportunity i think that's that is really interesting actually and i think most probably a lot of people have been struggling with the why like why am i doing this or why are we still doing this or why doesn't this change or why has it always been this way the why the purpose of education has been the thing that yeah I'm wrestling most with at the moment and I'm finding that really difficult but to to get into the real nitty gritty of why why are we doing it this way what is the point of all this that big and it what does it all mean and it doesn't even have to be you know as big as the purpose of education it could be something as simple as right you have I don't know um like give me a a, a kind of topic at the moment like okay our you currently have, I don't know, one period of ICT a week for, you know, S1 to 4 pupils. That's always been in there. Yeah. It's currently not working. And what we're trying to do is just put a fudge and a fix in place mm-hmm. to make it work. Whereas actually we need to look at, right, do we really need that? Yeah. Is that still a, you know, what is the purpose of that? So I'm not... I don't think it's just about these big, you know, what what is the purpose and why do we educate young people the way we do? But I think you can also apply that to, to smaller issues and, and medium-sized issues, as well as the massive kind of yeah. purpose of education, you know, the why of that. Yeah, no, I think... What, what's, your, what's your moment, you asked me? Yeah, interesting, in that I would probably say some form of self-directed study as well. Do you know, I think throughout into headship and I know we've sort of lamented the loss of not being able to have conversations with people but actually I've found the most amazing moments when I'm reading an article or a a kind of chapter from a book that has just totally resonated with my thought and where I'm at at the moment and there's been a couple I'm sure I've spoke about them before but one about um, Biesta um, the author, I think he works at Murray House actually, but really good, interesting uh, article about the 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 learnification of education is what it's called, and it's just how we focus so much on learning and how much learning has mm-hmm. become just common parlance, and it's so much a part of what we talk about. Like learning is important, and it has to be about the learning, and it's all about the learner learner-centered education and nobody actually interrogates what, what we actually mean about learning like there isn't this shared understanding about what we mean learning is and it's that sort of hierarchy of learning that learning at school is different to this learning about life that you get through other experience and through your parents and through your friends and through your kind of primary social agents and I just found it really really interesting because it just something like one very short article maybe 10 10 pages in this journal article totally just transformed the way I was thinking about things or validated some thoughts that I had as well and it just again I I was kind of 
curious about that kind of wider purpose of education and what we mean about learning. What does that actually mean? And that's our sort of bread and butter. But what are we talking about when we say learning all the time? Like, what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. And you can approach that through a cognitive scientist's perspective. Like, is mm -hmm. is that kind yeah. of depositing things into long term memory, or does that mean something totally different? And I think that's that's why I was quite interested in when you were talking about the why question because actually that that disagreement that comes around with what why about something so core as learning mm -hmm. actually and when you sort of strip that back and interrogate the language i just it was a really really interesting article i think i'm sure it was called the learnification of education or that was maybe just a lovely kind of pithy phrase that he used within it but it was um, <laughs> herbiesta just a great article and it was one of those kind of moments where i kind of put it down and i was like this is incredible this is exactly what i am mm -hmm. thinking at the moment and it just what we need to do yeah the power of the written word i think is amazing at the moment i'm i'm really enjoying doing a lot of reading good and in terms of you asked me a question there a question i have for you is if you could take one area of professional learning and um, because you're obviously in a position where you're able to influence other people's professional learning what would it be, you know, one key area or one um, skill or, or one article or whatever it is? Or what would you say that everyone needs to experience this? As in, like, every, everyone needs to experience this one piece of professional learning? Is that what, is that what you mean? Yeah, or, 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 or everyone needs to... Um, upskill themselves in this area and this would have a huge benefit to their practice you know yeah. it might be a professional learning course it might be you know a, a book or, or something like that so well, something that they would experience that would impact on them positively i think i suppose my answer to that is a criticality people being critical engaged in critical inquiry okay Critical inquiry, I would probably say, would be my my, my sort of main go-to because it covers so many things. And I really believe in the power of critical pedagogy in terms of, mm -hmm. and not just not just being critical of things, but actively looking at the situation, at the status quo around you, and 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 recognizing that there's things about that that are uh, oppressive and things about that that don't work and things about that that are broken and actually not mm -hmm. accepting them and having the conversations and discussing why the why question but why mm -hmm. are they this way and i think that the criticality that comes with that and in, in challenging things is a big part of or the kind of lack of that critical engagement critical inquiry is a big source of a lot of the issues that we face in education i would say at the moment i think if we had a much more critically engaged profession and that's again i'm, mm -hmm. I'm not i'm not i'm not saying that there isn't a, a wide range of people that are critically engaged there are a huge number of professionals a lot of people that criticality is built, built into the standard so that is a standard that we're bound yeah absolutely by. yeah but there isn't there isn't always that same rigor that comes with a, 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 a say master's level study or that engagement mm -hmm. in in professional reading groups and professional reading circles now i know that that's not for everybody so i'm not saying that that's the only mm -hmm. access point to it but if that was something that i could see improved by the whole profession i would love to see that critical engagement and that ability to kind of back up and defend your opinion and your thought and your stance in terms mm -hmm. of pedagogy and where you're coming from and what do you think that would look like because as you know a lot of people listening may consider oh well i am critical I, I do know what needs improved i do i do know that this isn't working in my school and i think i can do it better i mean give me an example of something that or what would that look and feel like if you were critically engaged uh, well i think it, interesting that i would look to the a great author, um, Giroux, I think he's called Giroux, G-I-R-O-U-X. And he, he he writes this really interesting, but he does a lot of videos. He's an American. He was a student of Paolo Freire, the sort of really kind of radical um, left-wing 
author about who wrote Pedagogy of the Oppressed and about that, about challenging and about critical pedagogy and looking at the world around you. And he, Giroud writes, where is the outrage? Like he talks about why why isn't everybody angry? Why isn't why isn't everybody really just why isn't there chaos? Why aren't people just saying no? And actually, that that to look no further than the response from our young people last year at the results of the SQE and that, mm-hmm. that active sort of citizenship about standing up and saying no, this isn't okay. This isn't the way that we're wanting things to be. That level of yeah. criticality is a really fruitful democratic thing, do you know. And I think it for me back mm-hmm. to the purpose of what education is for. It's about promoting human fulfillment and democracy and trying to give people mm-hmm. the tools to be able to engage with that and i would love to be able to see and that, maybe i'm speaking out of turn and maybe it's just kind of anecdotal or the way that, that i've kind of interpreted things but there can sometimes be just uh an acceptance of things do you know like we will get yeah. directives from the authority or we will get we will be told how to do something and we'll do it and we'll all disagree with the way that exams the non-exams are happening at the moment but actually being able to to, to coordinate any sort of real sense of dissent around that is quite difficult because of the operational managerial thing. So the tricky bit is looking for the, the kind of guidebook for us to how do we access that because that will be different for every one of us, do you know? It's just about mm-hmm. engaging in critical thought and looking at your practice through a critical lens, thinking about not just critical as in how can I be better at that, not in the traditional sense that we think of criticality, do you know? It's just like mm-hmm. that bit wasn't good, that bit is good, but critical in the wider sense of why are things this way? I am I am discontented with this, but why is it like that? What's the, the overarching... And I guess what you need from that in order to engage effectively you need to have a culture where that's promoted and encouraged yeah. and it's a safe space don't you that that people aren't fearful of oh if I do speak out here I'm not going to get in trouble or you know be shot down or told I'm wrong so the, you need to have that culture but also you need to have a bit of courage and, and bravery around yeah. that don't you in terms of being able to to speak your mind but also being confident that you're backing it up with evidence and you're backing it up with being well-read and, and, and well-informed. And I think that's what gives you that that credibility, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I, I know, I suppose, what I'm proposing there is um, maybe not, again, I, and I understand how that's uncomfortable, do you know? I understand. Yeah. And some initially, it would Initially, be. yeah. But that culture that you were mentioning, that ethos, mm-hmm. that building for me that feels quite utopic do you know being able to have that Mm -hmm. a a whole kind of body of staff and i'm talking teaching staff not just in an establishment but just really critically engaging and directing their own learning their own experience their own understanding of what's happening around them would just be phenomenal i think my challenge then to you is could that go too far because i'm thinking about a colleague who i worked with who interpreted this GTCS standards as such that the critically engaged professional as part of the GTCS standards um, that mean meant that they could just criticise everything and anything they disagreed with, they would not accept any decision. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's maybe where chaos ensues because you clearly could not have an education system that everyone just did their own thing because they didn't agree and they were all going off at a tangent and well actually I'm I'm the professional here I think that's not the right thing to do but then someone down the corridor is is delivering a curriculum that is exactly the same so therefore you've not got that that standardization and I know you you and I have had a, a discussion about standardization before yeah but I do think it's important you cannot have teachers just going off and doing their own thing yeah so really interesting so how do you guard against that i think that that issue there and this is a a kind of often heard criticism of critical Mm -hmm. pedagogy or what i'm proposing here is that we need we need a kind of guidebook we need someone to tell us what to do how do we arrive at this what is the system that we have in place that will allow us to 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 kind of refrain from chaos to just refrain from Mm -hmm. smashing the windows and running about whenever we say we're going to have a half hour staff meeting so that's what i'm what i'm saying though and maybe sometimes chaos is needed i mean to 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 implement change and sometimes i'm not saying it doesn't there is happen but that, that notion though about yeah like change can't happen 
if everything just stays the same change can't happen change for the good change for better can't happen if we're all comfortable and that kind of that 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 comfort that we're finding within that makes us complicit i suppose and it's about actually as as recognizing where are the parts that don't work here and what parts do we want to get rid of but the the consistency that you were mentioning or the sort of standardization it's not that i'm saying i think everybody should be able to do what they want and just criticize anything and if they don't like it they can just say no for, no for i'm not me, suggesting that no. but i think for a that lot could of happen. people yeah and the the one person i gave this person interpreted the standards that as way. that yeah but for me the the sort of freedom within that comes that consistency doesn't mean everybody doing the same thing consistency mm-hmm. doesn't to me anyway it doesn't mean that, that i could walk into this classroom on a monday morning and then another classroom three doors down on a wednesday morning and if they're doing maths i would see the same thing consistency in principle consistency in values consistency in ethics yeah. consistency in morals mm-hmm. these are the things that I, I would really want to be seeing so if we are saying in this kind of in this sort of world that i'm envisaging or or kind of thinking would be fantastic utopia yeah if that if that was a if that was in existence <laughs> if everybody was kind of upskilled in terms of critical thought inquiry engagement in this kind of critical pedagogy then there would be that shared agreed understanding but that would be a shared agreed understanding with everybody it wouldn't just be because we've been told to do this or the head teachers decided that this is what's happening because mm-hmm. actually those democratic principles would live out and it wouldn't be mm-hmm. that kind of hierarchical model of well it's top down it's the talismanic leader mm-hmm. has told us to do this so we're doing it and actually if you criticize it then you're just the the, the kind of whinger actually you would build mm-hmm. in systems and practices that would suit the staff and the the community that you're serving which is difficult and it's hard because there isn't an easy answer to that but as far as for me and again back to what we're saying at the start in terms of what the purpose of professional learning is i think unless it's moving to something along those lines then it reduces it to something that's quite it's almost like a technician's role like here is a thing that you can do tomorrow morning and just fulfill your role as a teacher and that that's a reductionist view of teaching and education yeah absolutely we're much more skilled and and professional than that or we should be yeah and much more part of society and bound to the outcomes of a of a society than actually we we sometimes give ourselves credit for i think as well yeah and i think you know talking about the gtcs standards that the professional values are are so important yeah you know around um particularly around social justice and actually they reflect or should reflect what we're trying to do as a nation. Yeah. I guess for me, um, just kind of moving on to, you know, in terms of what I think would be important for other people to, to engage with or, or be part of, I, I've really in the last year to two years been exploring a lot more around coaching mm. within education and I've really benefited from um, being coached and um, as part of the into headship, that's been really helpful to me. But also coaching others in my my work, and I've really seen the benefit of that. And I think that's really helped empower. It's helped have challenge conversations. Um, it's really helped move things forward in aspects. And I really think that we need to invest in upskilling people around coaching Mm -hmm. because I think it it can be transferable you know for teachers in terms of having learner dialogue conversations I think for line managers senior leaders in schools I think that can be really really powerful Um, but obviously it needs to be done in the right way because and also debug some of those myths that are out there as well around it's it's kind of passing the buck or you're not actually deciding anything like it's not always appropriate to coach someone as well. So I think there's there's something there's some work to be done there. But I think for me that that would be a key thing that I would like to see. And where would more. where would you direct people to find out more if that was something that they were wanting to do? Because coaching for me has always been something that I want to get involved in. And in the few times that I have been coached, I've, it's been an invaluable process. But where where would you start mm-hmm. if if people are listening to this, wanting to start somewhere? 
Well, I think as a starting point, I mean, you don't even necessarily have to go on any sort of formal training or read anything. I would I would just look at um kind of just Google kind of 50 key coaching questions and maybe look at some of the models. So the GROW model um, is quite a, a good one to look at. And it's really just questions that in a certain situation you might want to ask of someone. So, um, you know, if there's a particular problem, let's say a member of staff comes to you with an issue, um, yes, it's dead easy to turn around and say, here's what I think you could do. Yeah. But I guess for me, that creates that dependency culture mm-hmm. that people then come and ask for permission or come and ask for you to resolve their issues, whereas actually we want to empower people as much as possible to make their own decisions and and have that criticality is that you've spoken of there. So I think, you know, that grow model around the, the coaching, have a wee look at that mm. and, and see if that helps you in situations such as that in the future. But there are, if you're looking for um, more formal opportunities, there are, if you go onto Education Scotland's website, there's national coaching offer. Um, there's some further kind of online module type coaching sessions as well. Um, and there'll always, there'll probably be something in your local authority as well that they're offering. Um, I just think it's really quite powerful. Um, and I'm really enjoying engaging within it because I can see the, the power of the transformation across a number of different settings. So not just that one-to-one conversation as a line manager, but also, you know, coaching in terms of um, providing feedback to lesson observations, providing feedback to probationers and student teachers. It can be used in conversations or learner dialogues with young people, can be used in difficult conversations with parents. Mm. You know, there's so many um, transferable uses for it, I would say. Um, so that was my one. That sounds great. I, uh, it's definitely something I want to look into more, and I think because it... Yeah, you should. Fits, it fits again with my sort of world view of what, what I, uh, I like about education. And again, that sort of empowerment thing is something I feel really passionate about. Do you think... Um, We've both sort of spoke about and we both are real advocates of professional learning and really committed to engaging in wider professional learning. But do you do you think there is a sort of paradigm shift that's taking place at the moment? We're obviously just about to have our new suite of standards coming in as of next session. Mm-hmm. Do you think the discussion, the narrative around professional learning has changed significantly? Or do you think the sort of national model for professional learning fairly recent and the new standards do you think they're going to move us further forward what do you think i do i do i i particularly like the fact that you know the standards were were brought about in in 2012 the the revised ones and obviously a lot has happened in the last eight years Mm. or nine years actually this is 2021 isn't it i feel like i lost a year there for a moment um so a lot has changed in that time i think um, we've we've seen scale. We've seen Education Scotland develop further. Um, we've seen the whole focus of professional learning, um, be renewed. Regional improvement collaboratives. The whole discussion around empowerment and collaboration. So I think a lot has changed in the education landscape. So I think it's been really important that the the GTCS standards were looked at. But I think what has remained the same, if you've looked at them or if you have a look at them. There's still that commitment to the values. There's also the, the, the kind of same structure around professional actions. But what they have done is recognised that middle leadership and headship need to be separated into two separate standards, whereas previously they were amalgamated into one. So I think that's good to, to really show that headship is different yeah. from middle leadership. And I think that's really important that it has that place. Um. And I think it's still important to have those things around the career-long professional learning being different to um, middle leadership and also to um, the standard for full registration. So I think I think they've got the balance quite right, actually. Um, and I'm quite excited, actually, by looking at what the future is going to look like in terms of professional learning Yeah. based on what the standards are saying. I think there is that sort of renewed conversation around what what 
professional learning means and whose responsibility it is. And I think there, there, mm-hmm. there sometimes has been uh, a thought or a, or a kind of resignation that professional learning in that respect is the kind of cat calendar for the school. And there's that sort of just willing engage with it in this sort of tokenistic way. And actually, mm-hmm. and actually on both sides of that, the kind of planning of that, the sort of leadership team planning that, but also people engaging with that. But actually, I feel certainly through engaging with the literature around professional learning and looking at that at a kind of national and a kind of global policy level that the, the discussion is definitely changing in a really distinct way in terms of the recognition of the power and the impact of the teacher and the role of the teacher mm-hmm. in the best way to improve opportunities for young people for children is to increase the quality of teaching and learning by investing in in teaching and learning in in teachers and that's the only way we you know we spoke earlier in the podcast about the focus on learning and, and how we develop a shared understanding of what learning looks like and feels like the only way we can do that is through professional learning of our our teachers yeah you know we have to invest that time we have to invest money as well you know i think and we're seeing that a bit around the, the master's level study and funded places. I think that's really important. Um, but we can always do more. And I think that's quite an exciting place to kind of to wrap up and, and really kind of close our discussion on professional learning because we've really um, had a whistle-stop tour of um, professional learning over the years yeah. um, and, and really um, put it um, out there, I guess. So remember, if you want to engage in the conversation a wee bit more um you can check out our twitter um page which is at edublether we always love to hear your thoughts and suggestions for future shows um again we're really sorry we've not done as many um shows as we would have liked to have done um i think we will get back into that um and <laughs> and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see you again soon and you'll see another um, podcast coming up on your chosen podcast um, app and again it's always good if you can on the podcast app like us um, it's really helpful to have that feedback so that we know someone's listening and you're enjoying it okay thanks very much <laughs>